Here's the thing, um, like I said, it's our final breaking through the barriers message. Next week we shift, but I, I really, uh, the title, you noticed it probably already there, the, the idea of environmental engagement. And this is gonna be, for, for me, a reminder that this is the way that we have, I don't know, how, how would you describe it? Uh, we, wanna, we wanna talk about how important it is for us to be people who affect our environment, that anyone who confesses a love for Jesus and a devotion to him, that we're actually really commanded by Jesus to be difference makers wherever we go, that we are not simply to have a faith that is hidden under a basket, as Jesus said, that no one knows about, that we have to be very careful about privatizing our love for him. And that, in fact, the opposite is true, that we are meant to take our love for him and have it kind of flow out of us in such a way that people are reminded of who he is. And sometimes it's just by the way we live and work that shows up, but it creates opportunities to talk. And, but I, I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because here, here, here's the thing. We, we have a deep conviction that if this is our calling or everyone who follows the Lord is supposed to be catalytic or affect the environment of our life, then it matters how we are doing on the inside. Like our health in God matters. You know, this is, again, the Lord wants us to be whole, and the more whole and healed we are, the better we'll be able to represent him. The less it, at, um, if we're, put this way, the less, it, less at war we are with ourselves and more at peace we are with him, the better we'll be able to represent his heart. You see what I'm saying? So, because that's what Jesus said. He said that my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give it. I give you my peace, it's different. But God really wants us to be at peace. Now remember, when Jesus comes, he, he offers us peace in at least three directions. The, the primary purpose of his coming, this is good for us to remember, was for us to have peace with God. In my mind, the perfect example of what I'm about to share is the very image of the cross itself. Think about how the cross has a, ver has a vertical piece to it and a horizontal piece to it. In the middle of that is Jesus. He is God's essential bridge, the bridge to, from a lost humanity to a God who loves us so much. But there's this gap. And we talk about it, someone had to pay a price, but who would, who would do that? Who would be that nice to pay a debt that wasn't his? Well, I know someone like that, the poet says, and he's your best friend. He really is. Talk about Jesus, who says, I have come to give my life so that you might have life in God. He becomes the bridge, the bridge between God and us. He pays a price for us that we couldn't pay for ourselves so that we could have peace with God. The Bible says there's a separation between God and a lost humanity. God himself, through his son, becomes the gap filler, the bridge of life. 
the peace bringer in relationship. But the reality is that peace is meant also to have a horizontal movement. That, what I mean by that is it's not just between us and God, the peace that Jesus brings, but ideally it's a peace that stretches itself out into our relationships and how we interact with people. Think back to the commandments as Jesus summarized them. What did he say? He said, the first thing I would say to you is the first thing and the greatest of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. God. But the second is like unto this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. There is this peace of having peace that God wants us to be essentially peacemakers and to be as much as possible relationally at peace. But to do that, it means that we also, I think, have to welcome in the third part of peace, which is our peace of mind. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace with, with our own mind. How many times is that where the real struggle is? That sometimes we're, some of us come in, we're under such turmoil, internal tension. We have fears. Some are legitimate, some aren't. We have things, I, mean, we, I don't think there's ever been a culture, right? A time in our culture where there's been more people, ironically, with all the resources we possess, who are more racked with anxiety and depression and stress. I mean, the younger generation is having an epidemic of anxiety. We, many, many of us are understanding that. I mean, the suicide rates are off the chart. People are getting addicted to, to drugs all the time. Um, there's a lot of trouble and pain and an inability to work through that. One of the promises of God is that he wants us to have not just peace with him, which is huge, and not just peace that plays out relationally, that we're better at relating, we're better at loving, we're better at forgiving, we get past things better, we grow in our capacity to love people better, but also that there is a, an ability to have the peace of God at work in our minds so that we're not, listen to me, not getting stuck. And some of us get stuck in loops and we get depressed. We start listening to voices in our own mind sometimes that are speaking, I think, things that, that are harmful to us, right? So again, what is the Lord trying to do? He wants us to be free. I, and I, I bring that up because God, God really, one of the things we talk about a lot, and then why is that important? Well, because we talk about how hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And so the Lord, the Lord and, and, and that's the thing is that the, God wants us to be blessers of people. So, if, and, how, and how do we bless when we're not at rest? How do I bless when I'm not at rest? How do I affect an environment for God when I'm inside? I'm kind of all kind of disturbed. I mean, the Lord wants us to be at peace. He wants us to have a, a, a strength, um, a settledness of spirit, an, an essential optimism at work in our life that allows us to engage environments, not perfectly, but with, as, as genuine life givers and light bringers in wherever we go the people that we're called to touch and be a part. That is his goal for us. So to, I am, what I'm saying is we cannot disconnect. You know, we, just we talk about the Lord and what he does for us, but then it needs to show up in our lives. It has to show God's will, his will. Again, the peace I give to you, it's not like the peace this world gives. The peace I give to you is far more deeper and far more profound. It can free you in so many ways. That's what the Lord is saying. I want my peace at work in your life. And, and never forget that. So, so watch, because again, God wants us to be blessers. And it's hard to bless when inside we feel like we're a mess. 
And I know that sometimes the mechanism for getting ourselves out of a dark place is to choose to bless. But sometimes it's really hard to do that when we feel beaten down or stuck. The Lord doesn't want us to be in that place. The last thing I'll say about it is the Lord doesn't want us walking around with open wounds. Scars okay, but he doesn't want us with an infected wound walking all around. It's really hard to invite people in the kingdom of Jesus. We're hurting at that level. He's the healer. Okay, watch now as we bring this to a close how Peter is going to bless Cornelius. Watch a blessing. Watch him engage his environment and watch what happens. And by the way, you will learn this other, we will learn this other great truth. As Peter blesses, he himself is blessed. Does not the scripture say that the one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed? Okay, in your handout there, your Bible, your Bible up, let's go to Acts 10. We'll jump right into this. I, I, I want to read it through fairly rapidly because I don't want to recover every, everything that we've already discussed these past few weeks. It says, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and they had called together his relatives and close friends. So real quick, Peter is coming from, we'll put a map up just again. It'll be the last time I do this one. Um, remember where Peter is going. We're reading about real places. Caesarea Maritima can go there today. It's a national park in Israel. In Caesarea Maritima, there were ruins, but that's where the Romans, that's where Cornelius was. That's where this is taking place. Caesarea by the sea, right off the coast of the Mediterranean. Go there today. So Peter and a group of, of men responding to an invitation that he now believed was from God was going back with three men that Cornelius had sent and a band of six others, a band of 10 in total, making their way 30 miles up north from Joppa, which again, you can visit today, up to Caesarea Maritima to go to the house of a man named Cornelius. Now, and Peter, he doesn't know why he's going. He only knows he's supposed to go. He's had this bizarre vision. We talked about that. But look what happens. It says, when Peter entered, he gets to the house, and we talked about the power of entering. Those of you who've been following on the Rise and Shines, you know what, that we've kind of been working through that idea of stepping forward into the place of discomfort and not being afraid, but entering in and being open to the new things God wants to do. It says that Peter entered the house of Cornelius. He was met by him. And Peter is kind of caught off guard. You know, Cornelius just has this vision from God. He's told he's supposed to send for Peter, this man named Simon Peter. And in his mind, there's almost like Peter is like this kind of divine person. And so Cornelius, though he may be at that time one of, if not the most powerful person in the city at that time. It's only one of them. A Roman centurion on the post there had a lot of power and authority and was very respected. But the first thing he does, because he, at his core, he's, a, he, he's hungry for the things of God and he believes. And he knows that this man Simon is being sent from God. And so what he does, as soon as Peter walks through his door, which he knew was a big deal, because Peter was a Jew and he was a Gentile. What's more, he was a Roman. When Peter walked through and comes into the house, he's making a statement. He does it. The first thing Cornelius does, we're told, is he throws himself down at the feet of Peter and he starts, I mean, I imagine he's just on his face in front of whoever is there at the time watching this happen. He's worshiping Peter. Oh, I worship you. I bless you. you know, Peter, Peter bends down, we're told, and says, look, don't stand up, please stand up, get up. I, I'm just a man like you. Look what it says. 
Peter lifted him up, verse 26, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he, he went in and he found many people gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So here's what happens. <sighs> Peter walks in. He's already been thinking about this. Wow. No, I don't do this. Um, according to the law of Moses, I should not be interacting with these people. He comes in, Cornelius, he tells him, don't worship me. Cornelius says, Look, I have people I want you to meet. And I don't know, in my mind's eye, he's moving through a corridor or some type, maybe a hallway, and then it opens up either into a courtyard or a big room. In that room, there's a lot of other people. These are his family members and relatives and friends. They're there because he's already told them, God is going to do something. He told me in his dream to send for a man who's going to show us what to do. So Peter walks in as well. Now, his first thing, you can tell. It, we read this and we go, oh, what's going on? He, it's, everything seems like kind of normal. No, no, no. You can feel Peter's discomfort, and I'll tell you why. The minute he gets into that room, he feels compelled to say something. What is it? His first statement is, imagine this. After he tells him, don't worship me, he comes in and he says, I, basically, I don't normally do this. It's discomfort. is evident. You, I think you all understand that I, as a Jew, do not... I, I am committed to the law of Moses, and I do not normally associate in this kind of a, a way. This is not my comfort right here. But I believe that God has shown me, this is the one thing I do understand at this moment, that God has shown me that I have to rethink about what I think is okay and what isn't okay in terms of who I can have contact with. And so I, I'm here. And it's a reminder of a couple of things. And here's one of them. I know a lot, some of us are we, we take this very seriously and we ponder the words and we take notes and we, we weigh them out through the week. I want to put this up because this is a reminder of something. As followers of Jesus, and now I am saying that's a presupposition there, but we are neither to treat people as more than they are or less than what God says they are. Remember when Peter says, as far as not treating people more than they are, Peter says, look, don't stand up. I, I, I too am a man. I, I, I don't worship me. Because in the end, that's all we are. All of us are people. People. Flawed, broken people in need of love and in need of a Savior. That's what Jesus taught us. And it's true. Some people have accomplished more than other people. It's true. Some people are to be admired for their achievements. And some of us have inherited more things, or some are more gifted, or some are more outwardly beautiful. All things will pass in time, by the way. <laughs> okay, just saying. All things will pass. Nothing lasts. Paul said, though my outer man perish, yet my inner one is renewed day by day. It's good to give attention to our outer tent. But no matter, and I hear people sometimes so devoted to physical health. And I admire that and am committed to it as much as I can myself. But that is, you understand, according to Jesus, that's not the real thing. There will be a day when this tent will be laid aside. It cannot contain the spirit inside of it. That spirit, that real you, 
It's not this in its present form. It will not last. That's a reminder then that we are to pay attention to the things that are important. And one of the things that are important is just not to get stuck. In fact, I noticed this. I, love to, I like to read biographies and I watch a lot of documentaries and I love watching the, the PBS Ken Burns documentaries. And one of the things I, I look, because they're so well done, and I always learn something. I go, ah. And it's funny because when you read something about, I don't want to go too far off into this and I'm capable of doing it, okay? <laughs> one of the things I love is even though I know something's going to happen, Watching it unfold, it fascinates me. And then knowing the backstory of why people made certain decisions and what happened and certain people, I didn't understand what the twists and turns of their life. I find wisdom and instruction in it. But one of the things that became, has become apparent to me, and I was just watching this one recently that I didn't think it was going to like, called country music. I was thinking, well, I'm not a country music, I'm not really a country music fan, and, and I don't know, I like the other ones, jazz, baseball, I got those, yeah, I love those, Civil War. I go, but as I was watching it really was more, it was not about a music genre as much as it was about the American story. And as I watched people's lives and watched them rise to meteoric fame at a unique time in history when their talent was met by an opportunity. And a lot of times what I would see is that these people would be on the outward worshiped and adored, but internally they were utterly a mess and falling apart. No relational capacity to sustain, getting addicted, Drinking, troubled pain, so much even of their art flowed out of their internal pain. And I was, I don't, you learn, you, what you realize is things are not always as they appear. Now we read about it, we know it's true, but the fact is we still, we admire things. But what I'm reminding us of is don't get caught up in, in worshiping people who are temporarily given things. And that may be some of us too at times. Everything will be laid aside. And must be returned someday. Jesus said, what you do with what you be given is the key. If you honor God with it, blessed are you. Look at this verse, Ephesians 6. This is on the overhead. Not by the way of eye service. Talking about pleasing people. This can be applied at work. Anybody, any situation we find ourselves in where there's relational inequity. But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or he is free. Now, this was written to bondservants who were in Roman culture. What a bondservant essentially was, was a household slave. Now, the slavery in Greco-Roman culture was slightly different than our historical blight in America and in the West historically. And honestly, every other part of the world as well. Nonetheless, it was still the bottom, the bo they were the bottom rung of, of Roman culture. And Paul was reminding them that they were to not be people pleasers, but rather to make pleasing God the preeminent pursuit of their life. And it's a good principle, by the way, to bring into any workplace environment as well. Some situations and institutions are toxic. They um, are unhealthy. They may un be unfair. They may even be unjust. We cannot deny that, that it happens. But here is the greater principle, and I'm going to put it up. It's a very important for us, again, environmental engagement, that as followers of Jesus, we are to engage every environment we are in, and as much as possible, as much as possible, make it better. That is a calling and again, it's something we're going to explore tonight in the tightrope talks a little bit as well. 
As representatives of Christ, we're not to talk down to people, treat people poorly. So we're neither to worship people and make, just because they have some unique quality, talent, gift, it's okay to admire within, but not worship people. And not, not live out of the center because we want to please somebody. The person we want to please the most is God. If we do that, we won't get off course. But also the way we treat people who we think as, so it has to do with people, how we treat people who we think have more power than us and how we treat people who we think have less power than us. I've watched some people who I'm amazed how they are with people who have a lot of power or something that they admire, but then you're around someone else who they don't think has anything to offer and they treat them poorly. Like nothing. I'm not saying any of us are exempt from that. I'm not, but remember, Okay, James said this. Check this one out. This is not an often appreciated verse in James 2. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, it actually says that, the law of the king, according to the scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do this, it's like, well, you're doing well if you do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As ourself. How do I want to be loved? James uses that and pivots off of it and starts talking about the danger of showing partiality. Now, let's leap back over to Peter, back to the house of Cornelius. Peter, of course, is experiencing a paradigm shift. He's about to find out an awakening. The dream and vision opens something up for him. He doesn't understand it, but God's about to color inside the lines. He's now going to realize, as he's already starting to realize, that the intention of God was so more expansive than he had initially realized, that the message of Jesus was not just for what he had thought, the chosen people, but actually it was for the world. And that God was working in the hearts of sincere people. That's what it was going to dawn on Peter, that God was working in the hearts of sincere, open people to prepare them for that message. And he, as he's processing what is happening, having crossed the threshold of the Gentile's house, he reflects back on what he did not then completely understand and starts to sense that it is exactly where he's supposed to be. And he knows he's supposed to be here, but he doesn't know why. And he goes on, and I love it. Do you notice what happens? Watch what happens next. Do you see it? He's in, the, he's in the room. Again, maybe the courtyard. He says, look, I don't normally do this. In fact, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't be here right now. As you know, there's a gap between us. I am a committed Jew who believes the scripture. You are Gentiles. But God has shown me that I cannot use that as an excuse to distance myself from you. So, I have a question. Why did you send for me? And you see what Cornelius does? Well, we were hoping you would tell us why you were coming, why, why we were supposed to send for you. We don't know. We don't, that, that's what we want you to tell us. We don't know why you're here. We were just told to bring you here. Peter says, well, why did you send for me? They say, we were just told to bring you here and that you would tell us what we're supposed to do next. Nobody knows what's going on in this moment, right? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I love that. I mean, you read it, you go, well, what's happening? I can see Cornelius looking at the, when Peter says, so why did you send for me? I can see all of them. I thought, talking, well, I thought you said he was going to tell us what we're supposed to do. <laughs> well, you're, that's, that's why we sent for you, that you would tell us what God wants us to do. And as Peter's standing there in that moment, a light comes on. 
He didn't get it. He had only got a part of it. But in that moment, I think he understood for the very first time what God was trying to say to him. I think he understood for the very first time that the message of Jesus was for far more than he had ever thought it could be. That, again, Cornelius, you can see there in verses 30 through 34, it says that Cornelius says, look, this is what we know. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, that'd be 3 p.m. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. So I was simply told in this kind of dream by this man, send therefore to Joppa and ask for a, a Simon who is called Peter. He's actually staying at the house of another Simon who's a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come, which I totally appreciate and we all are thankful for. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you are supposed to tell us, everything that you've commanded for us by the Lord, we want to hear it. And so Peter opened his mouth and he said, now I understand, I understand. I think I know what's going on here. God shows no partiality. That's what's happening. God is not a, oh my goodness, when it comes to Jesus, God is not a respecter of persons. But in every nation, and I can kind of hear him talking to himself, but also to his other, his, his fellow leaders that he's brought God is also working in every nation to prepare them. For, and, and he does what is right and acceptable to him. In other words, everyone is eligible to become part of the family of Jesus. I did not realize. I thought you had to become Jewish to become part of the family of Jesus. But now I understand if you open your heart and you're willing to follow, you, are, you can find an opening. And then he goes on to say this. And I'll scroll this down because I didn't have enough room in the handout. So here we go. As for the word that he sent to you, Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of all. He starts to preach to them. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. That's a, this is a great summary of the life of Christ. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day. And he made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. We ate and we drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed to be the judge Look at this, of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets actually bear witness. They pointed to him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you understand what I'm saying? While Peter was saying those things, now go back to your hand, you can see it. While Peter, verse 44, was saying these things, while he's talking to them about Jesus, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. Now what in the world is that? All of a sudden, we, all of a sudden it says they break out in praise. They start speaking out praise out loud and they start praising God and they start speaking in languages that they didn't even know praise going to God. The whole room breaks out and Peter, Peter looks at his, the, the men he's brought, the, the other the leaders, the Jewish leaders of the church, and he's stunned, they're stunned, and he turns to them, because look what it says here, and, and it says that the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jewish Christian leaders who had come with Peter were amazed they were stunned because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, ecstatic, ecstatic praise, magnifying the Lord. And then Peter declared, can, because the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. 
He says, can anyone withhold water? Can, is there any reason why they should not be able to be baptized right now as followers of Jesus um, in the name of Jesus Christ? For they, look what it says here. Because they, they've received the spirit in the exact same way we have. They're not Jewish, they're Gentiles. But it doesn't seem to make any difference at all. They've opened up their hearts to Jesus. It's a beautiful moment. They're, and then he commanded them to be baptized. For Peter, that exchange will become a seminal moment in his life in ministry. It will forever change how he interprets the command of Jesus to go out into all the world and to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. He had always thought that making disciples was making people become Jewish, connected to the law, and then they could come to Jesus. But now he saw that opening was much different. And God was breaking down the barrier in his heart to bring him into a broader place of understanding. And listen to me, there will be times, loved ones, when God will do that with us. That he, they, remember those breakout times are often connected to the breakthroughs that are connected to the breakdowns, right? But what happens is God's trying sometimes to break us into a new season. And he's trying to expand something in us. And a lot of times it's the wrestling with the paradigm and what God's trying to say to us as we wrestle with it, not knowing everything, but as we wrestle and stay with the Lord, he opens it up and shows us the way becomes broad. We see it in a way that we didn't see it before. There's another couple of things that I want to just leave you with. And here it is from me. This is what I heard in this passage as well. And one of them is this, that the heart of a seeker will never be overlooked. I think we understand that. God will set up divine appointments. Some of us came to the Lord or are coming to the Lord because someone else talked to us about him. And a divine appointment came. God was working at both ends and he brought somebody across the path. And that person maybe was connected to somebody else and somebody else was connected to them. And it just, that's how the work gets done in the kingdom. And you see how beautiful this moment is because not only is Cornelius and his whole house comes to the Lord, but Peter is also changed. His understanding of the expansiveness of God and the love of Christ, his personal prejudices overwhelmed by a better understanding of God's love that he, everyone is welcome to choose to accept Jesus. Not come on our own terms, but everyone is invited to accept Jesus on his terms. No one is not given that opportunity to receive him. But here's the other thing, and I'll leave it, I'll leave it here. Do we understand as we bring the Breaking Through the Barrier series to a close that to follow Jesus is to sign up, and you hear me say it a lot, is to sign up for a journey of growth and discovery. One of the things I love most about this is that it is not some static thing. It's Always, look, if we really are walking with the Lord, it will always be opening us up to new understanding and possibility. It is not like you learn it and then that's it. It's not like that. When it's working right, it's about new things God is doing in and through us all the time. It's a life of adventure and discovery and learning and growth and expansion. It's not a static thing. It's going to be actually a life of growth, vital and alive until the day we die and are changed, we never are called to stop growing, ever. Keep growing and learning and learning how to use whatever stage of life we're in. How do I honor you in this stage, Lord? Wherever things I'm wrestling with, how can you teach me things here, Lord? It's alive. It's not dead. 
And that got me thinking a lot, because someday we're going to cross the ultimate barrier. We'll leave this world and we'll step into the next one. If I may say, that divine appointment awaits us. And I've been at the end of enough people's days now to see what really matters at the end of the day. The divine appointment we have with Jesus in this life prepares us for another divine appointment into the next. But between now and then, there's a life of real growth and discovery that he wants to work inside of us. And I, I had a final little, and this is like a, what I call a mini little poem. I want to just, it's not, I don't even know I can call it that, but I'm going to put it up there. Because I think some seasons are meant to be transformative. So between, you see what I'm saying? Between the now and the then, between time and timelessness, let us live with resolve and hopefulness. For the broken reed he will not despise, and the hungry heart he will not pass by. So think about this. Between now and then, because I got a box the final calendar box of my life is coming. I don't know when, and none of us really do. Whatever that trajectory is, and it may be a small, I know, we don't say it here, where do we say it? Or it may be a long shot, still to go. I don't know. But someday, the arrow lands. And someday, the last box on the calendar hits. Between now and then, between time and timelessness, we are called to live with resolve and commitment, but also always with hopefulness as a part of our life. In Christ, there is no such thing as hopelessness, only hopefulness, because the end of the story has already been written. And it is good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Not only that, the broken reed he will not despise. Think about that. They used to use the reeds that grew by the river to make goods, baskets, containers. They could cut them and they were sturdy. But every now and then, some, something would hit, and a reed would get a bruise. And that reed would tumble over, because it was bruised. And at that point, it was worthless. You couldn't use it. They would take it, toss it. Jesus said, the bruised reed, I will not despise. I don't toss my reeds. I use them. Remember that a reminder of? that the Lord, the Lord can use even our broken places and spaces and disappointing things. He, nobody is too damaged for the Lord. Nobody. In fact, in fact, and we will leave it here, but the truth is sometimes the one who thinks they are whole, Jesus said, and does not see their need is far worse than the person who is broken but recognizes their need. For Jesus said, those that are whole do not need a physician, but those who are sick. And he was talking to a group of people that said, we don't need anything. And Jesus says, you do, but you don't realize you do, so I can't help you. But to those, blessed are you. That's why he says, blessed are you. 
the poor of spirit, the broken of heart, because it's creating opening. And now that you recognize the need, I can fill it and meet it. You see that? How powerful. And the hungry he will not pass by. The broken, the bruised reed, he will not despise. And the hungry, blessed Jesus said, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because we'll be filled. Stay hungry for the things of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you allowed us to have this time together. I ask that you would give us the gift of, of a spiritual hunger and remind us that you can take even the broken places of our lives, the, the bruised reed you will not despise and the hungry heart you will not pass by. Remind us of that, to live with resolve and hopefulness always, always, God. Between the now and the then and time and timelessness, we give you our life. Use our lives to be difference makers wherever we go, bringers of the good. Give us peace of mind so that we can be a peaceful people capable of bringing life in your name. I pray your blessing as we close with a beautiful song that we end with, but also, also our quick time of giving. And we may, you, may you be honored in that. We just ask for your blessing over our time and then over maybe this evening as well for those of us who are coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.